It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade So, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat will be with us shortly uh, in about 10 minutes. Uh, she's going to tell us the right and wrong about this vaccine, the spread of the virus, uh, who's to blame. Evidently, Anthony Fauci took another shot at President Trump today. you got to be kidding me. Uh, and Lieutenant Colonel Allen West about what is it like having John Kerry and his minions in 2019 trying to circumvent your Iranian policy. You were upset that Michael Flynn might have been talking to the Russians when he was about to take his job as National Security Advisor to the president. He was one month away. What is it like having a former Secretary of State upend American policy? That sounds treasonous to me. We'll discuss that with Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, as well as the decision I hope Joe Biden makes to leave some troops in Afghanistan. So we have a lot to discuss today. We're also going to see... Uh, there's going to be Senate hearings day two uh, with the Attorney General Merrick Garland. Had some interesting things to say yesterday. My eyebrow is firmly up on the left. And we're going to hear about near attendance fate. Uh, this woman had over a thousand tweets she had to take down. She's a, a, a tweeter maniac putting down everybody and is wondering why she's having a hard time uh, getting passage as a OMB director. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We have the situation where Ron DeSantis is being attacked for vaccinating seniors, and Andrew Cuomo up here in my state of New York got an Emmy for doing all these press conferences where he basically lied to people about uh, what he did with seniors in nursing homes, which essentially exposed them to COVID-19. You've got the vaccinator-in-chief versus the you know, sort of the terminator-in-chief. Uh, that is uh, DeRoy Murdoch, a columnist, uh, Fox News contributor. Cuomo versus DeSantis. The media targets Florida. The successful state opened on all at all costs while protecting the lockdown shutdown and the bully New York Governor Andrew Cuomo surrounded by scandal now. What's happening and how to correct it? Number two. I think that Republicans should not forget the new people that Trump brought into the party. I count myself as one of these people. And I think that if Republicans and conservatives forget these new people, Republicans will get left behind. Rob Smith, the the Army veteran, talking today as an African-American, now as a Republican. The GOP is still still in Trump time. The CPAC speech for the former Speaker uh, President will tell a lot about the future of the GOP. And his personal legal challenge hits real close to home. It happened yesterday, a huge setback from the Supreme Court Monday. Number one. We need Congress to pass my American Rescue Plan. It deals with the immediate crisis facing our small businesses. Now, critics say the plan is too big. Let me ask them a rhetorical question. What would you have me cut? A lot. What would you leave out? A lot. COVID-19. Why some are not saying the good news. Cases, hospitalizations, uh, deaths way down, vaccine shots way up. Perhaps someone has an agenda like a pork-filled rescue package uh, and a power-mad blue state governor, powerful teachers unions, all invested in control, not in kids and not in us. We'll examine. So you want $1.9 trillion, right? So, you know, Joe Biden just said it. I'll have him say it again. Joe Biden on Friday came out and said the rescue package is an emergency. He asked this. Cut one. We need Congress to pass my American rescue plan. It deals with the immediate crisis facing our small businesses. Now, critics say the plan is too big. 
Let me ask the rhetorical question. What would you have me cut? A lot. How about the California transportation article there? $112 billion. Uh, $30 billion for public transit. How about that? How about $1.5 million for a bridge that goes from New York to Canada? There you go, Chuck Schumer. How about $500 million for arts and humanities? That is not an emergency. How about more millions for uh, a Native American language preservation program? I don't think that's an emergency. I actually don't think minimum wage is an emergency. You want it up more than $7.25? Maybe you $11? What's it doing in an emergency package? What are you trying to do to small business? In New York alone, 50% of small businesses are no longer in use. What I think bothers me most is the money set aside for, I think, legitimate reasons is not going to get into the system to help. For example, you want to help schools. Well, $5 billion for emergency housing vouchers. Only 5% will be spent this year. $39 billion for child care. Only 19% will be spent this year. Of the $50 billion for FEMA, only 23% spent this year. On education and labor communities, the package only 12% will be spent this year. We're going to be, the economy is going to be turned around in June. Ask yourself, if you don't have to go on to debt, if you personally know that your job's coming back in June, wouldn't you spend less in order to have less debt when you got a job? Well, by June, the U.K. is going to be standing up. We're showing signs of maybe 4 to 8% growth. Why would we put debt that we're not just – it's not phony money. It's legitimate money if it's not an emergency. Remember, Republicans walked into the Oval Office and said – I just gave you $900 billion. I know you're a new president. You, want, you think there's got to be areas to help that the other president didn't. How about $680 billion? That's about how much this is in pure pandemic aid. That's all. Kevin McCarthy was on with Sean Hannity last night. I just want you to know, nobody's saying that you can't use $1,600, $1,400. No one's saying that... Uh, if you live in paycheck to paycheck, that wouldn't help if you haven't been affected. I'm, I'm not I don't begrudge you that. But this is not I don't want to build a bridge in New York to help people in Minnesota with a pandemic. Here's Kevin McCarthy. Cut four. This bill is too expensive and too expansive. You've listed a lot of things in there. And think about this. This is supposed to be a covid bill. Only nine percent of it goes to covid. What they are doing is telling you the swamp is back. Everything you have warned your viewers about before the election is coming true in this bill. The more we bring it out, and Republicans have better ideas. Our focus is to put Americans back to work, back to school, and back to health. They are putting money in here, but schools are still shut down. Biden has a plan to open the border, but not open our schools. Okay. You want to tell me how to uh, lock down the PPP program? We shouldn't need a PPP program now. We should all do what Florida, Tennessee, Louisiana is doing. Open up responsibly and soon without restrictions. But not at all does not fly with me. Uh, The PPP program, if I could help you in the gym, if I could help you get through in a restaurant, okay. But at this point, we should be working through this. By the way, the vaccines are going well with it. You wouldn't hear this. But do you know out of all the countries on the planet with vaccines, the only country doing better than us per capita is Israel? In the last 14 days, deaths are down 44%. Cases, excuse me, cases down 44%. Deaths down 36%. 73% cases are down since September. But you're not going to hear that. Why? Because you can't have a rescue package 
if you're telling things, telling everybody things are getting better. So why are things? Uh, why aren't we feeling better? We're getting the vaccines out, right? The numbers are going down, but we can't get any answers from the medical community. We can't get any. Let's, the masks are going to get off in this amount of days. We heard from Anthony Fauci. He thinks we're going to be wearing two masks in 2022. Forget it. If I get vaccinated, the mask is gone. And in Israel, they did a study. You do not carry the virus if you don't have the virus and get vaccinated. So don't worry about it. If you're a senior and 80 years old, you get a shot. You should not be hesitant to go visit your grandchildren. Cut seven. My parents have already gotten their second dose. They're fully vaccinated. Does that mean it's okay for them to spend time with their grandchildren who obviously have not been vaccinated? What's your recommendation? You know, I'm not going to make a recommendation now except to say that these are things that we really do. I mean, literally every day, Dano, we look at that. We look at the data. We look at what's evolving about how many people are getting vaccinated. And there will be recommendations coming out. I don't want to be making a recommendation now on public TV. We want to sit down with the team, take a look at that. Listen, you sat down with the team. I don't know if kids should be vaccinated. My sense is no. I don't know if teens should be vaccinated. My sense is no. But uh, plus it's 16 and 18, depending on uh, the vaccination. But seniors should be vaccinated. And then when they get you get on with their lives because they're not taking in the psychological damages done. It's hard enough being a senior when your life slows down, and your medical challenges mount up and then you deny them the compatibility, the interaction. Uh, you can just uh, expediate their death when you have a kid in 11th grade who's still learning from home. You're not protecting them. You are hurting them. Why in the next breath? If he does not an expert, he should peer with a psychologist next to him saying, look, there's a little bit of a risk, but it's more of a risk for a fifth grader to stay home. I recommend they go back to school. You say it or you say there's a point zero 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 three percent chance of them getting this illness and dying. And I'm going to compare that to the flu, which is higher. I'm going to pale that to scurvy, which is higher or whatever other crazy illness is out there. But nobody is taking in the psychological damage and frustration, let alone the business and livelihoods. I'm going to come back and talk to Dr. Neshwat about that and talk about the contradictions. I'm uh, almost 100 percent in Meghan McCain's camp, and you're going to hear that a little bit later. I am done with Anthony Fauci. The guy's a professional pundit. He's a political animal. He might be a nice person and very intelligent, sure, a lot smarter than me, but his messaging is terrible. It's all over the place, and he's never held accountable. Nobody should be getting away with him being all over the map and ripping the previous president at the radius while covering for this one when they all are disagreeing with each other. Jen Psaki, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden all disagreeing, and you have Anthony Fauci running interference. When did he ever do that for the president? Trump, never. That's politics. That's not being a physician. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, I think we, uh, one, inherited um, a circumstance where there was not a, uh, there were not enough vaccines ordered. There were not enough vaccinators available to vaccinate Americans. And there were not enough places to, uh, for people to go uh, to get those vaccines um, shot into their arms. And, uh, you know, you can always look back and say, we wish we would have done this better. We wish the storm wouldn't have come. Uh, But our focus is on building out of the hole that we inherited. Unbelievable. Jen Psaki talking about building out of a hole. They got a vaccine in nine months. They had 900,000 shots in arms on average uh, a week. Uh, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat is on the front lines. No one needs to give her a pie chart. She knows exactly what's going on with this virus. Uh, Fox News medical editor, contributor, uh, and also a family and emergency medicine doctor. Dr. Neshwat, uh, thanks so much for joining us. What's your take on digging us out of a hole? So, okay, so the the winter weather storm maybe put us back about a week, but it's phenomenal. And thanks to Operation Warp Speed, we've got a truly life-saving vaccine that is saving lives, that this is unheard of, and this is a historical event to be able to have two vaccines. We're we're getting 1.5, approximately 1.5 million vaccines in the arms of Americans daily, and this couldn't have been done if we didn't push it um, last year to get FDA approval. So sure, the the, wither, the cold winter weather put, put us back about a week, but this week we're catching up. Right. We've got. I think she's talking about when she took over out. on January twentieth. Say that again. She's talking about when she took over on January twentieth, not this week. Right, right. So the, the the distribution and the shipments. Let's remember, started last year. Started in, in December. We started put, putting out these vaccines. So sometimes the weather can give us a little setback. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really confused, and, and, and it's unclear what she's trying to, to say and what she's trying to do. Um, we, we really have a phenomenal vaccine, and it's been a logistical challenge because of the cold um, storage infrastructure right. that was needed. But we really are have picked up momentum and getting a lot of Americans vaccinated. You know, we've already got over, you know, 70 million distrib- distributed and over 60 million in the arms of Americans. So... Dr. Nishwad, uh, it looks like England's saying we're only given one shot, and that that's what they're going to go for, and they're going to lift everything up by June. Why oh, why are they free to go ahead with the one shot, and, and we're going to stick with the two shots? So here in 
the United States, we go by the data. We go by the evidence. We go by what the FDA finds in the studies. And the studies show us to have optimal immunity, optimal um, immune system support and strength is to have two shots, which will give you that 94 and the 95% protection. Now, you're still going to have, uh, you know, up to 85% protection after one vaccine, after one shot. According to some of the studies that have just come out, we saw a study out of Sheba Medical Center that followed over 7,000 participants who ended up having 85% uh, protection between 15 and 28 days after their first dose. There's other studies that show you get 72%. So, you know, if the, if the goal is to vaccinate as many right. people as possible, then that's, that's a legitimate thing to do. That's a reasonable thing to do. Why do I need, if I get my vaccine in both shots, why do I need to wear a mask? Because we don't have everyone immunized so far. Um, we're not close to getting everyone immunized, but we're on our way. And the data that we have so far suggests that even though you are immunized, that means you may not suffer from complications. You may not be hospitalized. You may not die from the vaccine, uh, from the virus, but you could still carry the virus and possibly transmit it to someone else who may be vulnerable, who hasn't yet been vaccinated. Like, for example, as a physician, I've been vaccinated, but if I don't wear my mask around, you know, a 65-year-old with high blood pressure and diabetes, and, and I'm carrying the virus even though I have no symptoms, I could pass it to them, and they could become symptomatic and, and have... I, I heard in Israel they did a study, Dr. Neshwa, tell me if you found this, that you can't carry the virus uh, if you have the vaccine. You, it, it can remain in your nasopharynx, but you may not be symptomatic, and the level of transmission is probably a lot lower, um, just like when you get the flu shot. Um, it protects you, but probably the level of transmission of the virus is going to be really low. So I think that, you know, the risk of transmitting it to someone else right. is extremely low, but possible. You, and I think our goal and our focus should be to continue to vaccinate as many Americans as quickly as possible before the, the virus right. continues to mutate. And then that's when we see new variants emerge. Right. I just think also the American people are, uh, want to get back to normal. And if you're going to say they got to wear a Absolutely. mask for a year after uh, vaccination, I think you're listening you're going on deaf ears. How about how about yeah. uh, how about if you want to get pregnant? Do you say and, and they're worried about taking the vaccine? Should you lay out now because there can't possibly be studies about pregnancy, um, uh, pregnancy and the shot? We just invented it. So right now we have over twenty thousand pregnant women who have been vaccinated without any complications, and there are currently studies being uh, undergoing right now in children and in pregnant women. And so we're waiting for the final data. But out of the uh, 20,000 women that have already been vaccinated, there has been no significant or serious complications, which is wonderful. What and there's also data, uh, I'm right. sorry, trials undergoing with children. Pfizer has um, studies right now. And we'll get the data out probably in the fall. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio daily analysis and news he is hot i am mike actually my <laughs> name is chad his name is jonathan but you get the picture we're gonna bring it every single day whatever you want to call us we'll respond to we just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day and while you're here we hope you subscribe to the podcast like subscribe and share and hopefully by the end of the year we'll start having teenagers vaccinated as well so do you want key you want teenagers vaccinated so I think teenagers can transmit the virus more so than younger children. But yes, I think, you know, it's, it's important for everyone to be able to get the vaccine, just like teenagers will get their flu shot 
and you know their you know hepatitis shots. You know it, it, the, the disease, the COVID virus, can affect anyone. Um, we're all susceptible to it. it. Can affect children, teenagers, seniors, and anyone can pick up the virus. We want to vaccinate so that we can prevent transmission of the virus and prevent. Uh- Right. The Johnson and Johnson vaccine, they said they're going to have 20 million. That's more of a traditional vaccine where they actually shoot the COVID-19 into you like they do the flu shot. Yeah. And that vaccine, hopefully this week, we'll get emergency use authorization by the FDA in the next few days. And that vaccine has been shown to give you about 72 percent efficacy against severe disease and death which is phenomenal. And sure, they're only going to start off with 20 million, but hey, that's an additional tool yep. to fight this, uh, this disease. So I'm, I'm all for it. One shot, normal refrigeration. Dr. Neshwad, thanks so much. Yeah. Have a good one, Brian. All Thank right. you. Uh, back to work. Back in a moment. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Uh, We knew this was going on, and frankly, we knew it was going on before that as well. It's un-American. It's very troubling. It's not the right thing to do. Uh, They lost an election, and they should have just gotten off the stage. They chose not to do that and instead tried to undermine what the American people had put forward as America's policy, and a policy, frankly, that kept America safe. It's sad that Secretary Kerry is uh, so so, uh, unable to get off the stage at any point that he had to go try and undermine what President Trump and our team were trying to do. I mean, just think about this. I don't think this can be overstated. When you're sitting there and dealing with another nation, in this case, one of our arch nemesis, uh, a terror nation called Iran, can you imagine? It's hard enough if an ally decides not to go along with what you're saying. Can you imagine if somebody within your own country? Can you imagine if that person was former Secretary of State John Kerry and all these other clowns that came up with the ridiculous, unpopular, unable to get a majority in the Senate, uh, uh, JCOP, the JCCOP, the uh, new Iranian deal? They, remember, Chuck Schumer and... Ben Cardin didn't even vote for this. He did Senator Menendez. It was terrible. Can you imagine having Secretary of State being undermined by the former Secretary of State? People were outraged that Michael Flynn was taking calls from Russia. He was about to become National Security Advisor in three weeks. They're working against us saying, hold out, don't give in to the overtures from the current administration. That is treasonous behavior. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, senior fellow at the Media Research Center, former congressman from Florida. Colonel, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Brian. It's quite disconcerting to know that we had a former secretary of state that was colluding with the number one state sponsor of Islamic terrorism in the world. And if you want to talk about the Logan Act and how it should uh, pertain uh, to a situation, this is definitely one of those cases where you have a person that was, you know, colluding with a foreign government that was an enemy of the United States of America, not in an official capacity, seeking to undermine our current uh, government, our current administration. This is something that is quite appalling, and I'd like to hear how President Biden will address this. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he better address it, but he won't, because his new climate czar is John Kerry. And evidently, Kerry met with Iranian Foreign Minister Javad Zarif multiple times during the Trump years. First, they were telling him that he's going to be impeached. Then they were saying in 2019, the summer, hold on. Meanwhile, we were putting the sanctions on, putting our thumbs on them. They were pledging revenge on us. But you know what? 
They weren't hitting our guys. They just killed a contractor in Iraq. They just rocketed an American base again in Iraq. They have just upgraded the uranium output to 60% within a hair of being a weapons grade. And this is the weakness that the Iranians and the Chinese thrive under. But this, to me, is so underreported. I cannot believe they're getting a pass to this point so far. Well, of course they're going to try to get a pass because the media is, uh, you know, more so concerned about Senator Ted Cruz taking a trip down to Cancun or instead of dealing with uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo or this, a very serious act of treason against the United States of America. And think about it. I mean, who on the left, you know, really came out and stood by President Trump when we took out General Soleimani? who was a terrorist leader, and you can trace his actions all the way back to the Beirut bombings back in 1983 uh, and the connections with Hezbollah as well. So if you're talking about Iran right now, think about the connections of the Biden family to China and what maybe was Hunter Biden and some of the other uh, parts of members of the Biden organization were doing with China to, to get them to believe that, hey, just hold on, we'll be there, we'll take care of this, and the next thing you know, look at what has happened. China has access to our power grid. Uh, President Biden stands up in the town hall last week and says, you know, this whole thing about genocide, that's just a cultural value. We've got some different cultural norms. No, it's genocide. And so he is saying on that stage last week he's not going to openly criticize Xi Jinping. Why? What does Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party have on Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden that prevents them from having a strong uh, U.S. foreign policy against our number one geopolitical foe? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, it is. They have rounded up Muslims. Uh, they put them in a concentration camp. They use them as human experiments. They're forcibly sterilizing and putting them in labor camps. That's not a culture. That's torture. That is nothing short of torture. But I want to bring you to something else on foreign policy. I love the fact that this guy, uh, this reporter from the AP, pushed back. Just so everybody at home knows, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is so important. It shows that Russia has got natural gas rolling in to our allies in Western Europe at a discount rate, which means they could shut it off at any moment. So Trump came out and said, what are you doing? So I'm supposed to protect you against a Russian invasion and influence at the same time you're getting cheap energy, natural gas, and we are the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. You could be getting it from us. Stop it. And we're putting all types of pressure on it. And guess who's taking credit for it? Forty Cut 43. The report that we sent to Congress last Friday also includes a list uh, of entities that have engaged in good faith efforts to wind down activities related to Nord Stream 2 uh, during this relevant time period. I think that demonstrates uh, that our strategy um, has been working to good effect. All of this work was done under the previous administration. Matt, you I'm guys not... have only been in month for, Matt. I mean, only been in office for a month, I... right? Are you telling me that in the last Matt, four I'm... weeks, these 18 companies all of a sudden decide to say, oh my God, we better not do Matt, anything with Nord I am, Stream I am, 2? Oh, I am yes speaking no? for the Department of State. Okay. The People who have been working this, okay. the people who are working this now, were the same people a month ago, were the same people three months ago. Three that months is, ago. That is, that is not true. Uh, the same people, the guy pushing his thumbs down is the guy Donald Trump and Secretary of State uh, Pompeo. And he's got alienated from our allies because they want, didn't want any part of this conversation. Well, think about the hypocrisy of this and that you have President Biden 
who says that he's all for the Green New Deal and to uh, get us to transition off of oil and natural gas. And when you look at the state of Texas, we are the Saudi Arabia of natural gas, to include the United States of America, the largest exporter of liquefied natural gas in the world. It comes out of Port Arthur, Texas. So Joe Biden, if he wants to try to take credit for something through his State Department, he is also saying that he wants us to get off of natural gas, which affects our foreign policy and affects our standing in the world. And it's a great means by which we can undermine Russia and Vladimir Putin, who is, again, another one of the enemies of this state. So the the messages coming out of the Biden administration already in, what, just the first month or so are so conflicting and so disconcerting. And really, it, it should cause us a lot of concern. They're not on the same sheet of music in this administration. So I want to bring you to uh, soon-to-be Attorney General Merrick Garland. You care a lot about the border. Texas, the biggest border uh, state we have. Then you got California, Arizona, New Mexico. And one thing is clear. The Remain in Mexico policy for now has to stay in place. They realize they're about to create chaos in a pandemic. So at least for now, so those refugees are staying in Mexico. Uh, so we used to have a day to exhale. Here's what Judge Merrick Garland said to an answer that he would not give in a very simple question. Cut 38. It, will you continue to prosecute on unlawful border crossings? Well, uh, this is, again, a, a question of allocation of resources. Um, um, we will, uh, 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 the department uh, will uh, uh, prevent unlawful um, uh, crossing. Um, I don't know, I, you know, I, I have to admit, I just don't know exactly what the conditions are and how this is uh, uh, done. Uh, there is so much wrong with this lack of answer. What is he hiding? Well, first and foremost, that's when someone should have hit that red eject button and should have shot him out of the uh, the hearing room. Because if you as wanting to be the top cop of the United States of America, the Attorney General of the United States of America, you couldn't answer a simple question about upholding our sovereignty, our rule of law, and prosecuting people come across the board illegally, you're disqualified to be the Attorney General of the United States of America. Uh, I think that what he is uh, reticent and recalcitrant of saying and is upsetting the far left, which really controls the, uh, the Biden administration and a far left agenda that wants to have open borders. What Joe Biden is doing by way of executive order uh, is to try to undermine the sovereignty of the United States of America, open up borders. And he is putting a state like Texas in incredible risk because he's talking about releasing people into the state of Texas at border crossings such as El Paso and Brownsville. They're not even getting COVID-19 checks. I mean, we're being told by the Biden administration to lower our flags at half staff, but yet he's going to open up our state like Texas and the United States of America to people that we don't even know if they're carrying this virus. So he is purposely uh, looking to uh, undermine our safety and security once again. And we have an attorney general candidate nominee that doesn't understand supporting the rule of law. No, he can't be in that position. Do you believe that illegal entry at America's border should remain a crime? Well, I haven't thought about uh, that question. Uh, uh, I just haven't thought about that question. I, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the president has uh, made clear that we are a country of, uh, with the borders and with the concern about national security. Um, I don't know of a proposal to uh, decriminalize but still make it uh, unlawful to enter. I just don't know the answer to that question. I haven't thought about it. What do you mean you haven't thought? That's like, is it going to be, is robbery still going to be allowed? Is If you burglarize somebody's home, you're going to be, of course, you need to say, of course, why would I, de, why would I decriminalize border crossings? What kind of nation are we without, without borders? 
Well, we're not a nation. We're just a piece of land in between Mexico and Canada, and that's what the left wants. We're a nation of laws, and when you listen to that type of response, just imagine if you had someone from the uh, Trump administration that was going through nomination, and they sat there and said, well, I really haven't thought about this. I don't have an answer to it. I mean, what would the leftist media would would be saying about that nominee at this point in time? But yet, when you listen to Merrick Garland, and think about that this was a person they wanted to sit, have sit on the Supreme Court. This is appalling. I want to uh, bring you to Texas. You guys got hit by a huge freeze, unexpected. They're saying this is all about you guys not insulating your infrastructure. And it was recommended in 2011. Here's the mayor of Houston. All of what happened this past week was uh, foreseeable and preventable. Uh, back in 2011, when I was in the legislature, uh, I filed a bill that would have required the Public Utility Commission, which oversees ERCOT, which manages our Texas grid, to ensure that there was an adequate reserve to prevent blackouts. That is specifically what the bill said. I filed it. Uh, The leadership in Austin did not give it a hearing. What did happen in 2011? And what uh, um, is this like sending snowplows to Miami? Why, Why do it? Well, the the thing is, and there's been a, a, a system of failures, and you could go all the way back to 2006 when Texas uh, started getting subsidies to uh, renewables, wind and solar, to the tunes now of about $19 billion. The bottom line is that we have had legislation, and even uh, State Senator Bob Hall, who is a Republican, has had legislation about uh, hardening and securing our electric uh, grid infrastructure, because 85% of Texas is on its own grid. Uh, but for whatever reason, there are some people in the Texas state legislature, Democrat and Republican, that have not wanted to take that up. What happened in Texas last week was that on the 14th of February, on Sunday, the ERCOT grid operators, nine of them, realized that all of a sudden the wind energy that we had depended upon, 23 to 25 percent of our energy distribution system, had dropped down to 3 percent. Of output, they went to the Department of Energy and asked if they could get, uh, you know, permission to open up more natural gas uh, energy. And the Department of Energy, David Heisinga Jr., said no. Uh, and so the federal government denied Texas. Now, first and foremost, they should have just gone ahead and turned on our natural gas and allowed it to have a maximum output. But yes, we had not winterized the uh, the system. We should be doing that. We should regularly check that. But the bottom line is when energy failed us in the state of Texas, and we cannot be put in that position again. Are there things that could be done in other states when it gets cold, in like Iowa, they were still able to use their wind? Well, that, I mean, you know, I don't know if you yeah. can, you know, prior to going into a, a big freeze like what we saw happening, we knew uh, 10 days out, if you can do some type of uh, winterization. But I think the most important thing is that we should have been ready to yeah. surge in our natural gas or some other uh, outputs. We destroyed three coal fire plants uh, here recently, but we tripled the energy distribution of wind energy, like I said, to 23 to 25%, and it dropped down to a 3% output. That is the real issue. We can't be in that position again. I understand. Understand that. So, what do you say to people with these energy bills that are linked to output that are like seventeen thousand dollars in some cases? Mm-hmm. What happened was that the uh, Department of Energy, David Heisinger Jr., said that if you want to buy energy from other states, you can do it at fifteen hundred dollars per megawatt hour. That is a six thousand percent increase from last uh, February. And if people are on a market-based energy plan, 
then they have seen their uh, energy uh, bills go up. If you're on a fixed rate plan, you're not going to see any increase. And so, again, this was an issue that was caused by David Heisinger, Jr. of the Department of Energy. And you can go and find the emergency order that he signed and sent back to ERCOT. Gotcha. Um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, appreciate it. Thank you so much, Brian. All, All right. the best. Leslie, before you go, is there anything people of Texas yeah. could need help and our listeners could help you guys with? Well, the most important thing is always prayers, but uh, we are slowly, you know, getting the power back on uh, and, and everywhere. But it's the water supply issue that we're facing. But today it's going to be about 75 degrees up here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, not a cloud in the sky. So we don't have to worry about the bad temperatures. And the good thing about God, he's sending us some rain. Uh, so that will help with our, our water supply and getting that back up. And we can send that through the purification means. But uh, if you can send us, uh, you know, water, that would be great for a lot of people. And some plumbers. Uh, Colonel Allen West, thanks so yes. much. Appreciate Thank you. it. God bless. You got it. Back in a moment with some calls. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Tens of thousands of small businesses have been crushed. And why were they crushed? Not because a pandemic forced them to. There is no real science underlying a lot of these closures. It's because autocratic tyrants at the state and now the, the national level are, are creating a kind of merger of corporate power and government power, which is really characteristic of Italian fascism in the 20s. Um, and they're, they're using that to engage in kind of emergency orders that that simply strip us of our rights, rights to property, rights to assembly, rights to worship, and all of the rights that our Constitution guarantees. So people are definitely horrified and noticing. I think people are shocked and um, and and divided, as I mentioned before. And, the- and and what they're counting on, that's Naomi Wolf, a former Clinton advisor, liberal, as she said. But she is so alarmed by the power that is wielded over us and the rights that have been taken away in the name of this pandemic. She has come forward. And if Republicans and Democrats, people, not politicians, can get together, we could stop this unnecessary lockdown and depravity of, of uh, livelihoods and uh, and people who don't take into account the psychological damage of this isolation. Ben, listen on WOKV in Jacksonville. Hey, Ben. Brian, I first wish to congratulate you on those fabulous Fox Station episodes. They are such riveting and informative uh, episodes, and I really look forward to the new ones. Yeah, I, yeah question, we have three, uh, four new ones out, and I'm so glad you said that. I love doing it. But what's on your mind right now? Yes, sir. Do you think the democratically controlled states are undermining their own political demise by their slow rolling of draconian efforts they put forth? And do they, is the American public waking up? If Republicans do a good job uh, defining what, who's responsible for this. For example, I interviewed a soccer club president today. He's part of a group of 600,000 uh, uh, families who are petitioning the courts to play sports again. 600,000 families in California, Democratic control. Let them know that Republicans want them to play. Democrats are preventing them from going onto the field with proper protocols like they are in the other 48 states. Understand who's responsible, and then it'll be effective. 
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by the Dispatch co-founder, uh, Steve Hayes from Washington, D.C. Congressman Lee Zeldin out from Long Island, but making a national name for himself. And then we'll do a simulcast on TV on FBN. You can watch us anytime on Fox Nation, but if you want to see what the studio looks like, uh, we share audiences. They'll, they'll get you, and we get their audience. So it's always fun. Today we got a hearing day number two from Eric Garland. We also have uh, the beginning of, uh, what's his name, the uh, Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs and Rules Committee will have the hearing for the January 6th attacks. So we see the Senate hopefully not do grandstanding. We just got that with the impeachment. I want to get to the bottom of it. I want to know how these guys plan, potted and planned. I also want to know why Nancy Pelosi refused all these National Guard requests and what the, uh, the truth is about what the mayor didn't do. I wonder if that will actually happen. And Xavier Becerra will have uh, begins his hearings uh, he wants to be uh, Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions uh, Committee will hold his nomination hearing. Uh, he wants to be HHS Secretary. So that's coming up. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We have this situation where Ron DeSantis is being attacked for vaccinating seniors. And Andrew Cuomo up here in my state of New York got an Emmy for doing all these press conferences where he basically lied to people about uh, what he did with seniors in nursing homes, which is essentially exposed them to COVID-19. You've got the vaccinator-in-chief versus the, you know, sort of the terminator-in-chief. Yeah, Governor Cuomo versus uh, Governor DeSantis. The media targets Florida. The successful state opened up at all costs while protecting the lockdown. Uh, Shoutdown bully New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. He's surrounded by scandal now. Why is this happening? And what are we going to do to correct this? Number two. I think that Republicans should not forget the new people that Trump brought into the party. I count myself as one of these people. And I think that if Republicans and conservatives forget these new people, Republicans will get left behind. Well, I'll ask Steve Hayes about this. The GOP is still in Trump time. The CPAC speech for the former president will tell a lot about the future of the GOP. And his first personal legal challenge hits closer to home with the huge Supreme Court setback Monday. Number one. We need Congress to pass my American Rescue Plan. It deals with the immediate crisis facing our small businesses. Now critics say the plan is too big. Let me ask them a rhetorical question. What would you have me cut? What would you leave out? A lot. COVID-19. Why we are not saying the good news. Cases and hospitalizations are way down. Vaccine shots are way up. Perhaps someone has an agenda. Like you got to sell us an emergency package. Like a pork-filled rescue package. Power-mad blue state governors don't want to release any of that power. Powerful teachers unions invested in control, not in kids, will examine. So why is it, Steve Hayes, as we welcome you back? As you know, you run the dispatch. You with your sleeves rolled up, handling all the breaking news. Hey, Steve. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. All right, doing so well. let's talk about that. Why is it that we're not hearing more of the good news? I do know we passed the 500,000-person threshold. I do know that's the highest. But I also know that cases are down 70%. Over the last two weeks, they're down almost 50%. Hospitalizations are down uh, between 30 and 40%, as well as deaths. 
It seems, and the vaccinations were only second to Israel per capita. Why are we not getting any of that good news? Here's a really good question. It's it's the lead item in our morning dispatch newsletter today. We took a long look at this, um, probably just because I knew you were going to ask that yep. in advance. I'm a genius. So we worked on that for the last couple of days just so I could give you a good answer. Well, I think part of it is is you know it takes it sometimes takes a while for the media, the mainstream media in particular, to kind of hinge itself off of an old storyline. And the storyline that that they've been telling, I think more true than not true for a long time, is that this is a crisis. We should take it seriously. Let's let's all be serious about it. It's still that. I mean, that part of the story hasn't changed. It is a crisis. We should still be taking the precautions, what have you. But as you point out, the, the good news, particularly over the last six weeks, if you break it down in six-week time frames, over the last six weeks, is extraordinary. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the case rates, if you, if you look at um, the the number of vaccinations, uh, if you look at even now deaths, which is a, a lagging indicator, they're all coming down. And at the same time, you look ahead, and you have now increased production of vaccines by the primary uh, vaccine makers. So I think this is all. Very, very good news. So part of it is I think the mainstream media are just caught in in this rut of telling the same story, same story. The second part is if, if you think about where the story is likely to, to go and you look back at how it's been reported at this point, you've got public health officials who don't want to get ahead of the good news because – They've made public pronouncements in the past that have turned out to be wrong, sometimes based on changing information, sometimes based on, you know, great too, too great pessimism. Sometimes they were too optimistic. But they don't want to get ahead now and say, hey, look, everything's going to be fine once we're all vaccinated because maybe everything won't be fine and we have new variants and it could be more complicated. So that's a long answer to your short question. I think it's a rescue package, too. I think that how do you need an emergency record rescue package if things are getting better, if the economy is going to turn around its own without this burden of debt? And when you look at this package, I am astounded by the crap in it. $30 billion yeah. for public transit, $1.5 million for an international bridge uh, between New York and Canada, $500 million for arts and humanities, $129 million for schools. When we haven't spent close to everything, billion, I should say, for everything we've given them, there's no demand to reopen on top of that. $86 billion to states to rescue pension plans, $350 million to state and local governments, period, rewarding those who have shut down the longest with the greatest unemployment, so not rewarding those who've been responsible and arguably taking a little bit more risk. I mean, $40 million, $40 billion for higher education? They haven't cashed the check we just gave them. What are they getting? They're getting more money and tuition to keep kids off campus, locked in their rooms or their dorm rooms. I mean, this is just irresponsible. Yeah, it's sort of, sort of amazing that Joe Biden asked the question that way. You know, he asked it, obviously, in a rhetorical fashion. So what would you cut? And, of course, he's been flooded ever since with very specific things that should never have been in the first place. Uh, many of the ones that, that you mentioned. You know, I think we're at the point now where the president thinks he needs to go big. I mean, the White House has made this very clear. They said they were going to go big early. Republicans, those 10 Republicans came in and took Joe Biden on his on his campaign promises that he wanted unity, that he wanted good faith negotiations. They went to him. They made good faith offers. And while they were meeting, you had Jen Psaki from the White House press briefing 
saying, in effect, yeah, we're not really interested in what they're doing. We're glad that they're coming. We're not happy to have a conversation. But from our perspective, the question isn't whether we can do less. The question is how much more should we be doing? They showed that inflexibility right away. And I think sort of gave the game away. And now you're having all of these, this discussion about a subsequent, you know, they're going to get there. Who knows if it'll end up being the 1.9 trillion, but it'll be, it'll be close. There's already discussion about a subsequent infrastructure package that will make the 1.9 trillion look like peanuts. You know, at some point, we actually have to worry about the fact that we're $28 trillion in debt, that this has tripled in the past decade. And very few people want to talk about that. I suspect Republicans will, will find religion on this soon, um, but it's, it's worth finding. Yeah, it's $825 billion at the most is for pandemic aid. The rest is just things like the minimum wage, which have no place in this, actually hurts small business more. So the, the lockdown, you know, we understand certain, certain times it may be necessary. When they go back and write the story, Steve Hayes, uh, they're going to look down at excessive how much they got wrong, whether you're wiping down your cer- your cereal boxes, which you don't have to do. Uh, we right. were told not to wear a mask, then wear a mask. But what blows me away is the most overrated person in the mainstream media, and I think he's more media pundit than doctor, is Dr. Fauci. He has been all over the place, but yet never gets called into account, goes out of his way to criticize Trump, but goes out of his way also to make sure that no one criticizes Biden and actually talks around their indiscretions and their contradictions. Here's a little of a, of a march over the last year of the different things Anthony Fauci has said. That was probably towards the middle to end of January. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. Putting a mask on yourself is more to prevent you from infecting someone else. And if everybody does that, we're each protecting each other. If one mask is good, two masks are better. I mean, that's just a few things. He's all over the place. Now he says after the vaccine, he's not sure if seniors can go see their families. Really? What's the point of it? Uh, About kids being vaccinated, they don't know. But we're going to give kids vaccinations in the spring. Have you noticed the inconsistencies with him? Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not quite as harsh a critic of of Dr. Fauci as you are. Uh, He certainly has been inconsistent, I would say, in a a manner that is like so many other public health officials. And I don't I don't read the politics into it quite the way you do. I mean, I think he was certainly critical of of President Trump. And they had you know, they had these famous clashes that spilled out onto the the podium at at the White House briefings on hydroxychloroquine and and things. And, And I would say several things where. Anthony Fauci was right and Donald Trump wasn't right. But I think your, your broad point about the changing um, instructions, changing guidance from public health officials is true. And it, it, leaves, it leaves sort of the, the public bewildered. Like, what do we listen to? What should we follow? And I think it, it explains in part why you have so many people today who are reluctant to get the vaccine. In part, they don't know what to believe about the, the efficacy of the vaccine, how, how well it'll work. And Second, they're being told that even if you get the vaccine, you sort of have to keep doing what you're doing. And while that might be a good advice from a, you know, if you're advising people to be very cautious, if you have seniors who have been vaccinated and gotten two shots and are vulner- otherwise vulnerable, they should still be cautious. It's sending the wrong message because people are choosing not to get vaccinated as a result. Steve, how old are your kids? 
16, 14, 11, and 4. Are they in school? They are all in virtual school. How bad is that? Uh, it's, it, you know, it varies from kid to kid, honestly. I'd say a couple of my kids are doing pretty well with it, and, and it's kept them organized, and it's not been bad. And uh, we've got a couple that are sort of not doing as well. So it, it's a mix. But we would sure love them back in school. They would love to be back in school. I mean, how's that? How's that when you've got kids Steve, clamoring to be back in school? Steve, they should be back in school. When you look at the I parochial agree. schools that do it, there's no question. We're going to look back at this and say the downside, uh, the upside of them being in school with risk and all is, is much smaller. This is about the teachers' unions. I agree and, with you. And Fauci you. knows this. He said the kids should be back in school. But listen to his answer yesterday. Would you feel comfortable going into a classroom and teaching? Um, would I feel comfortable? Um, you know, it's tough because I've not been in that situation. I could tell you I have a daughter who I adore who is actually doing just that right now as we speak in a city far from Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I understand the concern that people have, and that's the reason why we say, Chuck, you know, when you ask a question, a specific question, it, it, it's appropriate and it's understandable, but there are so many complicated issues. Like what? I mean, what is the complicated issue? If you, as somebody with comorbidities, you, you advise from home, you get some new teachers in there that are temporarily there, give them maybe an opportunity they wouldn't normally have gotten because of tenure, and you find a way to get kids back in school the way they are doing it in other states. This is, to me, this is inexcusable. That's the better way to answer it. Yeah, that's the better way to answer the question. I think, unfortunately, the reality is some of, some of the school districts are not taking into account teachers with comorbidities. And that, that is a problem. Um, they're not, you know, if you, you can't, it's hard to tell a teacher to go back into a classroom if he or she has two or three of these comorbidities. And the other, the other problem is these, these school districts, and in many cases the unions, have had a year to prepare. Yep for sending people back in and they haven't done it. I mean, how, how is it? I actually think, I mean, the te- let's, teachers unions are a are bad actor in this. And I think they are the cause for much of this holdup. They deserve the, the scorn and the blame that, that they're getting by and large. That's not to say they don't ever raise valid issues. And one of the issues they've talked about is these, these uh, ventilation systems. Well, what have you been doing for a year? I mean, this is something that could have been worked on for the past year, and it hasn't been. You, these are not new problems. You have the GAO reporting that some of these problems have existed for years. So why were we not fixing the problem? Why were we not taking some of the money that you mentioned earlier that the feds already sent these districts yep. and spending them to make sure that people can be back in the classrooms? Because it is – I mean, the, yep. it, it's heartbreaking when you when you look at what's happened to yeah. a lot of kids, not just academically, but – mentally and emotionally when they're not seeing friends they're not interacting with other human beings other than their family that should be the second word out of any medical professional's mouth yeah there's a little bit of a risk but the downside the psychological damage of a third grader uh, and the development that they'll never get back the 11th grader they'll never have these relationships back even the i I talked to a the president of a soccer association today you can relate to you're a big soccer guy and six hundred thousand people have signed up let them play a foundation because in california they've been unable to play a single game in club or school yeah but yet they're doing it in arizona and even doing it in new york now so that's well, we've, yeah, we, we made a priority pretty early to, to let our kids get, I, I've got some of these comorbidities, so I'm, a, I'm at risk. 
But we decided it was more important to let our kids get back into their dance and into their gotcha. hockey so that they could, they could you know, re- start a normal life to the extent that that was possible. Steve, uh, pick up the dispatch. You get all the insights you need. And uh, I just want to tell you that I am back to dancing. So it's good news for me. That's what I truly love doing. No one, no pandemic will stop me from dancing. Is it tap? It's tap. I, I do it all. I, I, I was doing it here, but it's on a rug. You can't hear it. I'm doing it right now. Thanks, Steve Hayes. See you, Brian. Back in a moment. Never met a dance floor that ever did me any good. Questioning everything. everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. That's just amazing. I mean, you have this situation where Ron DeSantis is being attacked for vaccinating seniors. And uh, Andrew Cuomo up here in my state of New York got an Emmy for doing all these press conferences where he basically lied to people about uh, what he did with seniors in nursing homes, which essentially exposed them to COVID-19. And huge numbers of them in the thousands dropped dead. Uh, you've got the vaccinator-in-chief versus the, you know, sort of the terminator-in-chief as far as nursing homes and senior citizens. And uh, what it is is basically they see Ron DeSantis as a threat. Uh, he's a very effective governor. People are moving into Florida like crazy. My, all my neighbors are moving to Florida, and I think they just want to bloody his nose as much as possible. And he's got about 53% approval rating now, and you have uh, Governor Cuomo with just under 60%. He was at 62. I think he's down to 57% approval rating. But DeSantis was at 45 in October, but he's going up because people have to live their lives. You know, he's brusque. He's a little rough around the edges, but he is a Ivy League grad who served in the military as an officer and then comes back, was a very impactful congressman, and then comes back and starts running a state. And everyone's taking shots at him because he flooded uh, vaccines to a senior community, I think, around the villages. And I saw this local story about it. Uh, Here it is. Cut 23. Since December, the governor created at least 16 senior pods across the state. Obviously, we've done a lot in the villages, and so go where the seniors are. Now, U.S. Congressman and former Florida governor and attorney general Charlie Crist is calling for the Department of Justice to investigate. You have concerns that this is partially based on political connection. Well, sure. How can you not? Chris specifically mentions this senior pod at, quote, the wealthy enclave of Lakewood Ranch. What they're missing is they're seniors. They're in line. He's going to them. Unbelievable. Uh, But I'll play a little bit Governor Cuomo a little bit later. We in New York uh, have had our uh, up to our ears in him and his arrogance. Back with Lee Zeldin. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have had uh, requests from the Department of Justice since last year when President Trump uh, accused Democratic states of the COVID problem. I then uh, actually gave a speech at the Democratic Convention and 
attacked him for his COVID policy. He then publicly attacked me and called for an investigation of New York. Department of Justice then sent four states, Democratic states only, uh, requests for information. That was back in August. So it's been ongoing since August. And he's not giving him any information. When the Department of Justice asks for something, you should give it to him, especially if you have nothing to hide. Why not? But no, he's not going to do that. He knows more. And Andrew Cuomo, without President Trump to uh, go up against, is just pulled him out of the fire to bring him up. Uh, but no one's going to buy this straw man argument. Congressman Lee Zeldin especially, he's over in New York, House Financial Service Committee, House Foreign Affairs, but now focused a lot on what's happening here in his home state because we're doing so terrible in that Long Island's okay, but New York has been suffocated to death by terrible political decisions. Uh, Congressman, welcome back. So it's good to be with you, Brian. So is it Donald Trump's fault that he didn't comply with the investigation? No, and it's an interesting evolution on Governor Cuomo's part because first he attempted to say that the reason why he wasn't providing information was because he was too busy. But then he started getting called out on that one on two fronts. One was if you were so busy that you couldn't provide information to the public, to state legislature and and to investigators, how did you have time to write a book? And the second problem was Melissa DeRosa, the secretary to the governor a few weeks ago, stated in her admission that the reason why they weren't providing information was that they were concerned about a Department of Justice investigation. So now Governor Cuomo is trying to roll out a new reason why uh, information wasn't provided and it's all Trump's fault. And he's going to test it out and see if he gets cover for it. Uh, but the, the, the fact is that the, the media, uh, New Yorkers, Americans, state legislators, everyone's smarter than Cuomo's giving everybody else credit for uh, so this isn't going to make it go away just by blaming Trump. It, I don't think so. I, let's hope not, because there are Democrats that seem really upset by this. Think about this. Governor Gavin Newsom and Cuomo were the two darlings of the media. Now, Newsom's being recalled. There are 1.5 million signatures. And now you have Cuomo under scrutiny by fellow Democrats. This Ron Kim has called for Cuomo to be impeached over nursing homes. He had the audacity, Congressman Zeldin, to call him up last Saturday and start screaming at him to the point where his wife could hear him on the other end and then called four other times demanding he pick up the phone. I mean, who do you know this side of him? Oh, you sure do. And this has been his reputation, not just dating back to when he first became the governor. This was Andrew Cuomo's reputation when his father was the governor. He is someone who uh, who follows a model of bullying and being vindictive and and backstabbing where uh, what has happened happening to Ron Kim and subsequently Ron Kim's courage and being able to speak out publicly about it has resulted in other Democrats saying that this has happened to them, too. So it's not it's not Republicans saying Governor Cuomo is vindictive in his style. We're hearing it from Democrats. There's a big article that just came out in The New York Times. Liz Kruger was pointing out a state senator from Manhattan, how Joe Prococo, who used to work for Andrew Cuomo and then went to jail, was talking about how Liz Kruger was on their do not yell at list. And Liz Kruger asked Prococo, there really is a list? And Prococo's uh, answer was, yes, it's really small. Uh, This is a style that is how uh, Andrew Cuomo approaches governing. 
to some extent, maybe he believes that it's worked for him, but not when you have everybody willing to speak out about it, uh, as we're seeing right now. Now, now it's all coming home to roost. So Cuomo's office uh, is accused of terrorizing this. Uh, this uh, Melissa, Miss Melissa DeRosa has, uh, was accused as Morgan Peen, a documentary filmmaker, served as editor in chief of City Run newspaper. She was being berated by Cuomo and his office for writing stories that he didn't like. Wait a second. Donald Trump would say to your face, I don't like this story. You guys are fake news. And people uh, people took him on. The media was outraged. Shouldn't they be outraged on this when he would call editors and demand stories be retracted, it seems, and they would? Absolutely. And where you see uh, that one person from the media, Morgan Pem, speaking up in that op-ed he wrote, uh, I'm sure it's giving other members of the media something to think about because the, the word is that Governor Cuomo has done this to a whole host uh, of other reporters, including many who work in the LCA, which is the Legislative Correspondents Association up in Albany. You point out, Melissa DeRose, I think one of the reasons why uh, this story has ended up with so much more leg when Melissa DeRosa uh, uh, gave that admission that became that bombshell New York Post article uh, is because Melissa DeRosa is looked at as someone who is very similar in stripe uh, with modus operandi to Governor Cuomo. So if anyone believes in karma, you have it backfiring there. I remember during uh, the, when the COVID first hit, I got a call from a local hospital. And they said that they only had a one-day supply left of propofol, which is what they needed for their vents. So me doing my job, I start making calls. I get in touch with the White House. I get in touch with FEMA. I'm working with the locals. But what we needed to do was get the state to to speak to the White House and FEMA to take the propofol and get it sent to the county. So I couldn't get I, – I reached out to Melissa DeRosa on her cell phone. I couldn't even get her on the line. She wouldn't even return a call. And you know, it's that style of operating that makes no sense. It, it certainly doesn't build up any goodwill. And I think that that's one of the reasons why many state legislators uh, were willing to speak up about that phone call uh, was because Melissa has been such a bad representative for Governor Cuomo, but in many respects is an extension of Governor Cuomo because this is exactly how the governor operates himself. Yeah, so this is Morgan uh, Femme. Uh, on how Cuomo abuses. This is in the New York Post today. Quote, shrewdly, the governor rings up reporters out of the blue, praise them when he likes uh, what they when they write. The personal touch wins him goodwill. Receiving such a call is something of a rite of passage for Albany reporters. Unfortunately, so too is getting a call from the governor when he's breathing fire. The abuse privately meets out amounts to a systematic campaign to chill negative coverage of his administration. And it works. Editors kill legitimate stories because of his threats. Reporters shy away from promising tips. Sources stay silent. Hopefully people will grow a pair and start reporting because he is not the be all or end all. I mean, look, they had no problem taking on Trump. And you would think that the president of the United States would have more power for redemption. What he did is would take you on directly. So where do you see this going, Congressman? Well, for one, you have the the Department of Justice investigation. The other question is whether or not the state attorney general is going to continue in her investigation and, and where that may lead. So from uh, the, the standpoint of delivering justice to the families of thousands of dead New York seniors, uh, that is something that uh, appears to be forward movement. We'll see, by the way, Melissa DeRosa's mother-in-law is the U.S. attorney for the Southern District. So uh, you have that aspect. Hopefully, 
uh, they actually pursue this to justice because act the, the actual loss of lives. There are still unanswered questions. So providing more information to the state legislators, what do they do? Uh, do they actually pursue uh, to uh, uh, roll back emergency powers, which the governor still has? Uh, do they go towards uh, the, the path of impeachment? The state, the New York State Democratic Party have uh, many members, committee men who are talking about censure. And then longer term, you have the November 2022 election, and Governor Cuomo is now in his third term. And there are many people, a lot of New Yorkers, not just Republicans, a lot of Democrats who believe that three terms are, are too many years in office for Andrew Cuomo. And now he's seeking a fourth term. Uh, so hopefully New Yorkers take the fate of not just Governor Cuomo politically, mm -hmm. but what's more important, the fate of our state into their own hands. Uh, because right. there are a lot more issues just in nursing homes. But you don't have a big Republican presence in the state anymore. There's no more Governor Pataki uh, in there, and there's no more majority in the Senate. Congressman, uh, what would it take for you to run against him as the probably the most high-profile Republican in New York? We'll see how uh, the next few weeks go. Uh, at, at this point, I've been receiving a ton of calls from people who – are motivated to help, and that, that means something because you know, if these individuals who are contacting me were deciding to stay on the sidelines or maybe calling up and offering discouragement and saying, hey, listen, you're in your fourth term in the House, you're moving up in, in seniority, Republicans are likely going to win back the House, you enjoy what you're doing, so my advice to you is to stay there. That would be a very different uh, phone call than what I'm actually getting right now. So it, it means a lot what I'm hearing. Uh, we need the right type of energy mobilization. The only thing that I know for sure is I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that Governor Cuomo doesn't get a fourth term. Uh, and as far as who that person is uh, to run right. against him, we'll see. But I am very encouraged by the amount of people speaking up, contacting me to text, the emails, the calls. Who are, they, they are motivated. They are right. all in, and they realize what's at stake. Just, uh, just Republicans, all right? No, no, it's not. It's not just Republicans. Uh, and it would be great to see some more Democrats speaking up Thanks. publicly like we're seeing right now. Thanks, Congressman. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. In a matter of moments, going to go on FBN, one of the fastest-growing uh, TV stations in the country. We have a lot going on. We're covering the—they're doing a uh, committee meeting on the riots on January 6th. And following that, confirmation hearings for a near attendant. Uh, they're going to be voting soon. And now let's listen to Stuart Varney. Brian Kilmeade, host of the Brian Kilmeade radio show, and he joins us right now. There he is, in living colour. OK, Dr Fauci was asked, if you get the vaccine, can you hug your grandkids? Here's the response, Brian. My parents have already gotten their second dose. They're fully vaccinated. Does that mean it's OK for them to spend time with their grandchildren, who obviously have not been vaccinated? What's your recommendation? 
You know, I, I'm not going to make a recommendation now. There will be recommendations coming out. I don't want to be making a recommendation now on public TV. Yeah, all right, Brian, let's get this straight, shall we? I'm a grandfather. I've got nine grandchildren, one more coming, and I am going to hug my grandkids. What do you think about Dr Fauci not saying one way or the other? Uh, I mean, his, his being flat out wrong, his hedging on just about every substantial question and then getting praise for these interviews has driven me nuts for the past year. He might be a nice man. He's certainly intelligent. He's got a wonderful resume and track record, but he's been terrible on this. He does more interviews than he does research. And this is a question. Instead of just saying why you should lock down and hunker down, look at the flip side of not having that interaction. So if you don't feel comfortable saying that, at the very least, if you are a senior, Life has slowed down more than likely. And then the little things that you have in life, have interaction with family, has been denied. Now you say to yourself, I'm not, I got a vaccine that's 94% effective. Going to see a kid who the chances of them being positive, me infecting them, are infinitesimal. It's not even on the chart. The flip side of not seeing those kids, not having the interactions, not taking those trips, not getting out of the house are so far greater than any pie chart that says yeah. hunker down, sit on your hands and watch Netflix. Of course, you got to see your kids. Yes, and hug them, too. Come on, get on with it. There's a cost involved in not getting it together with them. I've got to move on because I've got a limited amount of time. So far, President Biden has not held a, sil a solo press conference. And Jen Psaki refuses to give a time frame as to when we might get a solo press conference, even though Trump and Obama, well, Trump, he'd held at least a dozen on his first week. What do you think about this? No solo news conference. I watched this guy get elected president without having one tough question. You know, something shouted in the back from one of our reporters. It, it, what is he going to do? They're going to get soft pedal questions. He's going to talk circuitously. You watched him with Anderson Cooper. It doesn't matter how tough the question is. He's going to talk in circles and not make sense. He's got elected because he's not Donald Trump. I, I know I'm in the minority in this statement, Stuart, but I'm not looking forward to his next press conference. The gotcha press conference, he's the gotcha candidate. He always, and when pre he never makes sense, but it still his approval ratings around 60%. Like, what's it going to take to what's happening at the border? It's a disaster. What's happened with the XL pipeline? 15,000 people out of work as he signs a, a form. He has no price to pay. What kind of questions is he going to get, and how is he going to skate around it? We watched him contradict his vice president and his press secretary, and then we watched his whole medical team cover for him. There's been no scrutiny. I'm not looking forward to the next uh, Joe Biden uh, press conference. I don't think they're going to be impactful. Uh, I'm more fearful of his next policy that's going to be coming down the pike. Well, the first and foremost would be that $1.9 trillion with only about a third of it going to pandemic relief. That's the scary thing. No right. tough question is going to change my mind. No, but you'll all get your $1,400 per person checks because that's free money given away by the government. And what politician is going to say no to that? It's not going to happen. You're going to get the checks, guaranteed. Yeah. Um, last word to you. I think you've got 20 seconds. 
My, my last question to you. Yeah, the $14 check, that's a separate debate. Uh, why am I getting a bridge from New York to Buffalo? Why am I getting a subway in San Francisco? Why am I getting funding for museums? Why am I preserving the Native American language? And do, why do you need millions of dollars for that? That is an insult to the American people. You're saying it's an emergency, and you give us a bunch of things to make your constituents happy because you're the majority leader, Chuck Schumer, and you're the speaker, Nancy Pelosi. That's not in our best interest. A press conference on pork would be very interesting, wouldn't it? All right, Brian, we're out of time. Thanks for joining us. See you again soon. Go get him, Stuart. All right, uh, 1-866-408-7669. So that was one of the, uh, one of the things that I, I find amazing, the $1.9 trillion. As people started reading it, 350-plus pages, they saw what was in it. So this is the question Joe Biden would, needs to be asked. Cut one. We need Congress to pass my American Rescue Plan. It deals with the immediate crisis facing our small businesses. Now, critics say the plan is too big. Let me ask them a rhetorical question. What would you have me cut? Everything I just mentioned to Stuart. And then don't tell me it's an emergency and tell me that you've only spent $6 billion of the money I gave you for schools and you want another $350 billion. Don't tell me you want $86 billion to rescue pension funds because you didn't open up your state and get enough tax dollars. Don't tell me $129 billion for schools when there's no demand linked to it to reopen those schools. I'm not going to buy that. Don't tell me $112 billion for California transportation when all you did was deny California's the, the ability to move and function. How about $500 million for the arts and humanities? You want that? Arts are important. I'd like to see Broadway open. You want money? Tell me you're going to open up Broadway. And you know what? Some people would go out and they would raise money for Broadway to get started because actors and lighting people and the ushers and the box office people, let alone the actors, they do need money. But when I see all this, raising the minimum wage, expansion of Medicaid and Obamacare, funding for the activities of one or more uh, equity commissions, what? The multi-employer pension plan bailout at $86 billion. And, of course, the states that locked down the most had the highest unemployment. And if you had high unemployment, you get more money. So Cal- Illinois, California, and New York all get rewarded, while South Dakota, Louisiana, and Florida don't. It's just so wrong. Hey, go to BrianKilmeShow.com. You can listen to the show anytime. Get the podcast where you get podcasts. And BrianKilmeade.com for any of my books. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Heard from you, heard in New York, heard around the country and around the world. Uh, we're happy to be with you. Ben Dominich, uh, Fox News contributor, publisher of The Federalist at the bottom of the hour. Douglas Murray, just about ready to join us. Associate editor for The Spectator and bestselling author, The Madness of Crowds, Gender, Race, and Identity. It's now available on paperback. But let's, before we get to Douglas, to put some of these this racial inequity that evidently our life is riddled with that we've been just living with up until now. But thankfully, Democrats are letting us know how bad we are, especially if we happen to be white. Uh, We'll go over that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 
You have this situation where Ron DeSantis is being attacked for vaccinating seniors, and Andrew Cuomo up here in my state of New York got an Emmy for doing all these press conferences where he basically lied to people about uh, what he did with seniors in nursing homes, which is essentially exposed them to COVID-19. You've got the vaccinator-in-chief versus the, you know, sort of the terminator-in-chief. Yeah, uh, the media uh, targets Florida. Cuomo versus DeSantis. The successful state opened up at all costs while protecting the lockdown shoutdown bully New York governor surrounded by scandal Governor Cuomo. But yet his approval ratings are higher. Why is this happening? How to correct it? Number two. I think that Republicans should not forget the new people that Trump brought into the party. I count myself as one of these people. And I think that if Republicans and conservatives forget these new people, Republicans will get left behind. The GOP still in Trump time. The CPAC speech on Sunday for the former president will tell a lot about the future of the GOP. And his personal legal challenge hits closer to home with a huge Supreme Court setback Monday. Number one. We need Congress to pass my American Rescue Plan. It deals with the immediate crisis facing our small businesses. Now, critics say the plan is too big. Let me ask them a rhetorical question. What would you have me cut? A lot. What would you leave out? A lot. COVID-19. Why? What they are not saying is the good news about cases, hospitalizations being way down, as well as vaccine shots being way up. Perhaps someone has an agenda, like a pork-filled rescue package that has nothing to do, almost nothing to do with getting over this pandemic. Powerful teachers unions invested in control, not kids. We'll examine that. Well, let's bring in Douglas Murray. Douglas is associate editor of The Spectator and his book, The Madness of Crowds, coming out on paperback uh, right now. Douglas, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. So, uh, Douglas, first off, why do you think we're burying the good news about hospitalizations, cases, and deaths? You know, the truth is that uh, in America, like all Western societies, We live in highly politicized societies in which even a pandemic cannot be got through without it being turned into a political issue. We also live in very, very legally retributive societies, as we know. Uh, There are lawyers everywhere, uh, which mean that employers, for instance, are worried about whether or not they can open up their workplaces again in case somebody brings a suit against them. And frankly, our society has become very risk averse. Uh, tell people that there's a 0.0 something percent that if they get the virus, they might die. And a certain percentage of the population say, right, I'm not taking that risk. And this, the, the combination of these things and, frankly, a misrepresentation of the severity of the virus in much of the media are altogether the reason why it looks like we might have months and months more of these anti-business, anti-opening Uh, rhetoric coming out from the top of the American government down. But we're not going to tolerate it. I mean, the American people have had it. Business people, 50% of businesses in New York have fallen apart. uh, And we know that 70% of of, uh, commercial real estate is unrented. There are no leases signed. And now we find out there's no fear. There's less fear. And a vaccine is, is here. So if we got, yeah. we got we grew up Douglas we don't need to read the newspaper to find out if a vaccine works we don't with polio measles this thing yeah. works so how are we going to keep Douglas Murray in the house if the government tells you to stay in the house not eat out and you got vaccinated you can, are you not going to eat out you know this is the problem Brian is that every single time we see the horizon uh, moving with covid uh, we were told for instance that the vaccine was the big thing the vaccine gets rolled out and the people who've had the vaccine are still in their houses. Uh, you know, this, this is an unsustainable situation. What I want government to do is not to just talk about how much money they're going to keep splurging at the population 
to keep them in their houses, but how normal life can start to resume. And for that, that's a two-way street. The public have to get used to the idea that risk exists yes. in every element of our lives. We risk our lives when we get into a car, we ri and, we, and we do not, as a result, stay at home. We might be risking our lives by going out again. We might be, and it's an infinitesimal likelihood. But that's just going to have to be something that we live with in our societies, like we lived with the flu, like we lived with many other things. And until that happens, normal life will not resume. But it's on us, the public, as much right. at least as it is on the government. Well, the thing is, you could message. If I'm an effective politician, listen, uh, it's 94% effective. Is there a chance that you're going to go to Costco? You're going to go to Walmart and you're going to get this? Yeah, but the psychological, the psychology deficit that you will get, the, the damage that will be done by a third grader not going to school, by you not getting out That's for over right. a year. So I recommend that you do what's best for you, but just know the risk is whatever, 5%. Go ahead. You're 94% vaccinated. Good luck. Go yeah. go celebrate Easter. I'm not guaranteed, but right. they can't guarantee we're not going to get hit by a car tomorrow. I can't. I'm not That's certainly right. they can't guarantee we're not going to get mugged uh, in the subway in New York. But I'm still going to yeah, take but it. One, exactly. But one thing we can guarantee is that all those American school children who have spent the last yes. year unable to go to school are going to be worse educated and have a worse start in life than everyone older than them and everyone who follows them. That is a massive, massive problem for that generation. We can guarantee that that is the case, that they have missed a year of education. And this is the best opportunity they have in their lives, particularly poorer people in America, particularly poorer people. Every single day, let alone every year, is that you lose is a loss you're going to have in your life that you will never be able to catch up on. That's the kind of thing I want to hear people starting to focus on more. So, uh, Douglas, I know your, your book really captures what we're wrestling in this country, race. Today I interviewed someone who wants to take George Washington statue out of George Washington uh, uh, University over in uh, Washington University over in Washington uh, State. Uh, with people because he had slaves, and that's therefore uh, he's not worthy of our time. Well, as you know, uh, we wouldn't have a country without him, but that shouldn't stop yeah. anyone. I want to talk about what you just wrote about and uh, talk about what's going on with the EU getting these vaccines. You say the EU is tearing itself apart before your eyes. What's happening with this block, this Western block mm. of nations? There's a lot to learn from this. Uh, your listeners will remember that Britain voted to leave the EU in 2016. We had a bit of a tricky time leaving, but we are now out. Uh, I was one of those who advocated that and supported that and voted for it. Um, one of the advantages of Brexit, as I saw it, was that we would be more limber, more lean, more swift as a country. We would be like a swift boat uh, as opposed to being in the EU, which is like a sort of huge juggernaut, which when it can turn, takes years to turn. And that's been vindicated already with the vaccine. Britain has vaccinated more people uh, than almost any other country apart from Israel so far. I think we're the third largest vaccine um, uh, success story in the world. Uh, the EU, by, by, by contrast, has countries like Bulgaria that on current states will not have vaccinated the population until the 2040s. And that is because of everything we already knew about the EU. It's, it's got intense inter internal rivalries. The French and the German laboratories were arguing about who should be the vaccine uh, providers. They were slow on the purchasing. And Britain, in its new position, went roaring off 
And uh, this has caused, of course, an enormous amount of ill feeling on the continent uh, inside the EU. Different countries in the EU are going off in their different ways. But the, the, the moral for everyone, particularly in America, is you should be, we should all be, as countries, limber and, and swift in our responses to these things. And what has happened, we've seen it in America, is been the, the trudging response as state governors row between themselves as, as we see equity rollout vaccine programs in Democrat states, you know. And, and, and then we see, as I think we've spoken about this before, we see things like the New York Times trying to work out why Republican states seem to be able to be swifter at vaccines. In part, it's because they're swifter and more limber in the attitude they take. They don't go to every problem with a set of preordained solutions to everything and then try to see if the solutions that they already decided can fit in with this uh, situation they're in. And the Republican states, like Britain, have by and large been able to say, we will take whatever swift action we need to deal with this. And as a result, they're doing much better. Yeah, they're worried about certain communities, minority communities, certain areas where they said, let's just line up and keep it on age brackets and susceptibility. Well, when we talk about. We've seen, the obscenity, we've seen the obscenity in New York of vaccines being thrown away because the, the, the right equity groups haven't come up in enough numbers that day. It's incredible. So we're dealing now with, I have this story out here that Coca-Cola is getting backlash because they made all their employees take diversity training. Where uh, yes. they're confronting racism, they ask people to ask uh, act less white. They're building a lot of their curriculum from this book, White Fragility. Robin DiAngelo, the author, here's her point of view. Cut fifty. I'll never forget asking a group, okay, so what if you could just give us feedback on our inevitable and often unaware racist assumptions and behaviors? And I'll never forget this black man raising his hand and saying, "It would be revolutionary." And, 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 you know, just like, just take that in. I just want all the white people to just take that in. Revolutionary, that we would receive the feedback with grace, reflect and seek to change our behavior. That's how difficult we are. Wow. That's how big a a-holes we are. Yeah. He's talking about white people, and that's the uh, mm. Jimmy Fallon wondering how he got into this mess. Uh, mm. That's what they want. They want people to just admit they're white and they're guilty. Yeah. You know, when, when, when I hear Robin D'Angelo, I don't just hear a fraud, which he certainly is. I can feel my own IQ lowering somehow. You know, <laughs> she is such a fraudster and a dimwit. And she has been profiteering like some. I mean, remember the covid crisis began. There was some whack job in the south in America who's tried to sell people a lotion with silver in it that could allegedly cure you of covid. Do you remember that? Yeah. And we all laughed at him. Robin D'Angelo is one of that kind. She has discovered not something with a little solution with silver in it to cure you from COVID. She's discovered her own totally fraudulent discipline to try to tell white America uh, that it is, it is instinctively racist, whether it says it is and whether it says it isn't. She says the most disgusting things. She happens to be white herself. She's doing awfully well, this fraud. She said recently that there is a collective glee among white people in America when black bodies are punished. She said that to Christian Amanpour on CNN. She wasn't questioned about that all. I, I worry about this woman's sanity. This is a woman who claims that every white person in America has glee 
when they see a black body being punished. This is a racist. This is a racist pretending to be an anti-racist. Anyone who reads Robin DiAngelo can see this. She says you're racist if you say you're racist. And if you say you're not racist, you're even more racist. And the problem with her is that she and a small group of other hucksters have been profiteering off vulnerable people in America and particularly cowardly bosses in corporations who have right. decided in the last year that they need to do something. And the do something is to try to reprogram the brains of all their employees. And we see the results of this with Coca-Cola. How dare Coca-Cola? I quite like a Diet Coke every now and then. I don't anymore. When I see that Coca-Cola have been telling their employees that they need to in this, and we've got the screen grabs for it, and they're on, they're on your website, as you know. Uh, when we see Coca-Cola telling employees that they need to confront racism by understanding what it means to be white, what does it mean to be white? When they say things like, in the US and other nations, white people are socialized to feel they're inherently superior because they're white. I want to know what they're talking about. And when they conclude as a Coca-Cola retraining, remind programming uh, uh, exercise does, when they conclude with try to be less white, I say that is racism straight up. If you did that any other way, try to be less black, we would all recognize that. Try to be less Chinese, we would all recognize this. Coca-Cola is pushing racism under the guise of anti-racism, and we should all rise up and say, no, you don't get to do that anyway round. Douglas, the last question. I, it's amazing. France is worried about the American wokeism infecting their society. France is worried about us. Your thought? Yep. You know, it's the same everywhere, I'm afraid, at the moment. Uh, I wrote about this a little while ago in the New York Post. It's the same in Britain. It's the same in France. Everyone is looking at this mad American culture war with racists parading as anti-racists, with ahistorical liars from the New York Times down all telling lies about America, all pretending that George Washington's the worst man ever, Thomas Jefferson's the worst man ever, all of this. And it's spilling over everywhere. It's spilled over into Britain with people trying to pretend that Winston Churchill's the worst man of yep. all time. And it's, try it's made entries into France. I noticed that country after country, including my own country of birth, the UK, and including France, our historical sweet enemy, all have the same attitude now, which is how can we try to cut ourselves off from the American madness? And that is a great tragedy. I've spent all my life just in, I'm a great lover of America. I'm a great lover of American freedom. I've always wanted America right. to be as much in our lives as possible. But in recent years, like a lot of other people, I've started to think, as the French government is now thinking, Gotcha. How can we try to inoculate ourselves from these American viruses? Douglas Murray, thanks so much. Put it all in perspective like a few others. I appreciate it. Good luck with your book, The Madness of Crowds, now out on paperback. Back in a moment. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
one of the big things that's happening in our country right now is that we're constantly divided against each other because that's the way our leaders want it. And it's important to ask what's going on. Why is this happening? And if you look behind identity politics, it's almost always about power. What happens to right. you if you don't participate in these woke trainings? What happens to you if you don't echo the party line? Well, two things happen to you. First of all, you're more precarious at your job. It's easier to fire you if you don't go along with the woke HR department. The second thing that happens is you're deprived of your core freedom of speech. So the two things that are core fundamental values and rights in this country are both taken away from you if you don't if you don't tow the woke party line. And yeah, that's it. You got to stand up, but also you're not in charge uh, because they shut down. So if you don't do the right thing and you're in the shutdown, how do you get open? How do you get back to school? How do you keep your job? It's a tough situation. Joe is listening on WABC in the Bronx, New York. Joe. Hey, good morning. Uh, great interview with uh, Douglas Murray. Um you know, uh, speaking of Douglas Murray and other authors like him, like Pat Buchanan, another great uh, conservative, uh, you know, there's a site that actually runs his articles very frequently. It's UNZ.com. Okay. Uh, and again, and again, you know, you can't trust the mainstream media to give you opinions, facts and opinions from a conservative point of view. Yeah, it's not. Uh, but you'll get it here. Uh, and also... We'll just call the shots here, too. Ben Dominich on the future of the Republican Party on the eve of CPAC and a big speech by President Trump. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Right now, this is a party that is very divided. About half of the party is with Donald Trump. They want him to run for president again. They would choose him in a primary and think of themselves more as Trump supporters than as Republicans first. But then there's the other half of the party. They're interested in looking at folks from Ted Cruz to Ron DeSantis down in Florida to Nikki Haley, even Mike Pence. Uh, and they're interested in seeing the party do what's next. Possibly Chris Soltis Anderson, an esteemed pollster, talking about the Republican Party, fractured to say the least. Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and publisher of The Federalist. Ben, welcome back. Hey, great to be with you, Brian. Good to talk to you again. So uh, Sunday, we're going to see the president for the first time in a major speech since he lost and uh, left. Uh, and and what, what do you think of the way she divided? Uh, she said the party's divided. Do you agree with first of what Kristen said? So I actually view it a little bit differently than she does. Uh, and I will say that there's, you know, this is the early going. So there's lots of different evidence that could be used or marshaled to uh, uh, make an argument, you know. Uh, and also, we obviously have to speak in the context of a, a moment in which polls are not exactly viewed with all that much trust, uh, even among the analyst class, uh, given how poorly they performed over the past couple of cycles. Uh, the way I see it is, I think that there are a lot of people who are in the Republican Party today because of the changes that Donald Trump made to it, uh, that he uh, changed up the priorities. He changed up uh, the different ways that we approach things, and he turned it into a party that I view as putting America and our national interest above all else. In other words, we are going to have a trade policy that puts America's interests first. We're going to have a foreign policy that puts America's interests first. And it's very much a, a engaged in a culture war that is about defending what he viewed and what I think a lot of Americans viewed as essential to the American experience, defending 
defending the founding, for instance, against uh, the ideas of identity politics and of right. critical race theory and all of that. And those are all things that brought those people into the party and that they want to see continue to be prioritized. The, the thing is, though, the only person that they believe to have really delivered on that promise to this point is Trump as president. They don't see that kind of thing echoed uh, enough by other Republicans. And so I think a lot of them when they say that they'd like to see him run again, what they really are saying is, you know, yes, we like him. We trust him because of what he delivered on when it came to all of these different promises. Uh, and we don't know whether we can trust these other guys yet. And I think that that's something that is, is perfectly valid to be saying at this point. That doesn't mean that we're going to be there three years from now, uh, you know, when people are actually determining, you know, who uh, who they're going to back going into yeah. the next uh, presidential selection cycle. I do think that he definitely has, you know, a critical hold on uh, on the party at the moment. He's certainly the most important politician uh, in the party, is the leader of the party at the moment. Uh, but that's something that I think uh, still is going to be worked out over the course of the coming uh, coming years and months. And this speech, I think, will be an early indication of the kind of approach that he's going to make uh, to that role in the party. 58 percent of Trump supporters, according to this USA Today poll, said January 6th was a work of Antifa. Not true. Ten members of the party have been censured for voting for impeachment because of January 6th. So their states turned around in Arizona and other places and censored them, Louisiana. And 46 percent of his party said they would leave the Republican Party if Trump left the party. So he's still got a lot of pull, but it's is it right now? Clearly, it's not enough to win an election. So his base yeah. is fervent. They're passionate, but there's not enough of them. And I think that that's another lesson, though, about the, the direction that the Republican Party needs to have going forward. You know, on the one hand, you can have uh, anybody in Washington will tell you, you know, oh, well, we need to move on from Trump and and we just can figure out ways to satisfy his voters differently. Well, that's not really the approach that I think is the wisest. We have to understand that this party has only ever been successful when it combined the interests of, you know, let's say that the establishment Republicans, the pro-business you know, wing of the party uh, that you see represented so much in Washington with the rising tide of, of popular support uh, that has been the big factor when they've won elections. Uh, I mean, that's something that was as true in 1994 in the Gingrich Revolution uh, as it was in 2016. And I think that you need to see that continue uh, in order for them to have success as a party and as a coalition. Yeah, here's what Stephen Miller said about the speech on Sunday. Cut 32. have had the opportunity to speak to the president, and he's very excited to make his upcoming address to CPAC, where you will hear him lay out his positive vision for the future of this country, a vision where we stand up to China, as the president was doing before he left office, and reclaim our manufacturing, a vision where our schools are open and our border is closed to illegal immigration, a vision where the big tech monopoly is dismantled and free speech mm. and free expression and free thought can reign because that's what this country is about. He's going to present an optimistic vision for a country where communities are safe, where criminals are behind bars, and where everybody can earn a decent, high-paying right. wage. Well, he does. he's not looking to get back on Twitter when he's going to say, I'm going to dismantle big tech, no doubt about it. Uh, <laughs> so that's basically his vision. But the question is, if he wants to bring the party together, he can't spend this whole time ranting against Liz Cheney and Mitch McConnell, right? Yeah. Well, also, I don't think that he needs to. I mean, I think that those problems to a certain extent will take care of themselves. Now, I do think that, uh, you know, certainly McConnell would like to move on from Trump. I think that, you know, look, I 
I think his approach these past couple of weeks were a mistake. I don't agree with the approach that he had um, because I, I think that he kind of uh, you know, made what I think is an uncharacteristically unwise uh, uh, approach to this, in part because you know I think it really represented what he believed and, and that he would have liked to see uh, the, the party turn uh, against Trump in a, in a bigger way. I think that that's very foolish and short-sighted. But setting that aside, I really do think that the president can have a, a big impact in a lot of different races in a lot of different primaries across the country going into these midterms where a lot of Republicans uh, expect that they'll be able to, at the very least, take back the House and, and potentially take back the Senate as well. Uh, and that's something that I think you're going to see a lot of people who were brought into the party because of the president right. uh, uh, running for office and, and getting involved. And that's something where I think he could have a significant role to play in backing them in, in critical and uh, contests across the country. And only one of those Republicans who uh, who voted against him in the Senate is going to be up in that midterm, by the way, and that's Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he tries to exact some kind of vengeance on her because she's obviously a very po- powerful politician in that state who's won before on a, on a write-in ballot uh, campaign, uh, obviously, when she lost a, a Republican mm-hmm. primary years ago. Yeah, I don't think he wants to travel up to Alaska and talk to nine people at a time. Uh, but that's, <laughs> I don't uh, think so either. Uh, right, uh, ben Dominich with us. Uh, ben, a couple of things. Here's what Lindsey Graham said. He spends, he's spending time with the president trying to get this party back together. Yeah, cut 26. Number one, he will uh, position himself as the alternative to Joe Biden. Uh, he, I think, will, will make a speech that will unify Republicans on policy, that I think he, he's been working the phones. I was with him all weekend. He wants us to win in 2022. And stay tuned. I think you're going to see over the next couple of months Donald Trump lead the Republican Party on policy and give us the energy we need to take back the House and the Senate. The Democrats are doing their part. If we could get behind President Trump and follow his lead, we will win in 2022. If we argue with ourselves, we're going to we're going to lose. No doubt about it. They're they're going to lose. And but the Senate race in Georgia, I really believe, was blown by the president. The money he got was not used for these candidates. It was used to go after the Georgia officials who were Republican. It gave them that one or two percent that gave both Senate seats to Democrats. You know, I, I think that that's certainly a possible explanation. I think another possible explanation, though, of course, is, I mean, right now, you know, you have a, a negotiation around the checks that are going to go out to the American people. Uh, I think that if you had Mitch McConnell, if you had this to do over again, he might be more willing to go down the road of those $2,000 checks, uh, just considering that that would have taken that issue off of the table. So we can't necessarily evaluate that, too. But one thing to keep in mind about Georgia is, you had such bad candidates there in, in Georgia. I mean, nothing against David Perdue, but Kelly Loeffler in particular, a very bad candidate. Again, someone who Mitch McConnell, you know, thought would appeal to uh, more women voters, people in the suburbs and things like that. Uh, she was someone very inexperienced and I think just not cut out. Uh, it was a very expensive fight. And I think that the president didn't do himself any favors, uh, but it did. But I do think that you can have uh, a, a lot of different fathers for that failure. Uh, but one thing that we do need to keep in mind, Brian, is I actually think that the Republican Party and as a coalition is far more unified in this moment on all of these big issues uh, than the Democratic Party is. Uh, there's so many divides within the Democratic Party between the progressives who you know, really want to push uh, for uh, extreme policies in a lot of different areas and uh, Joe Biden and the, and the kind of approach that he's using when it comes to 
satisfying them on identity politics selections and the like, but then also picking people who tend to be liked by Wall Street, tend to be liked by big tech, tend to be liked by a lot of uh, different folks who uh, are not in the same vein as uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders or the like. Uh, And I think that that's a a situation that's going to play out over the coming years uh, in terms of not just his own approach to the issues, but in terms of his decisions about what to prioritize. Uh, And look, we've gotten an administration that so far, you know, looks a lot more like the Kamala Harris administration than I think a lot of people uh, maybe expect going in. One that's really prioritized, you know, things like uh, the climate accords, shutting down Keystone, uh, taking some steps on culture war issues like trans policy and and, uh, on uh, uh, taxpayer funding for abortions uh, that are certainly all at odds with the unity message uh, that Biden gave at his uh, at his inaugural. Uh, and that's going to continue to be this kind of uh, disconnect between the way that they brand themselves and the actual approaches they have. Just look at how inconsistent they've been on the school issue, for instance. That's not something that I think sends a real strong message about his own leadership. And if he goes into a midterm that turns out badly for the Democrats, right. then I certainly think that there are going to be a lot of recriminations on their side. Well, a couple of things. I have so many different ways to go with you, but I, I know you love foreign policy, and I am outraged that the facts, uh, the Washington Times story that I do no doubt is true, that John Kerry and company were working behind the scenes to undermine <laughs> the Trump administration when it came to a terrorist state like Iran with so much at stake. You're not talking about the European Union and uh, which I think would be wrong anyway, and talk about allies in the Nordstrom II pipeline. You're talking about trying to control this terror state that has a history of attacking Americans. They had a counter-foreign policy with ours. Is this the same group that wanted to destroy Michael Flynn, who was National Security <laughs> Advisor-elect, uh, was about to take the job three weeks by talking to Russia ahead of time? You know, this is uh, completely insulting. It's also totally a normal uh, swamp approach to the way that they do policy. Uh, Just because they lose an election, it doesn't mean that they stop trying to make things happen. And I think that this is just another sign that the rules only work, uh, apply in in one direction. Uh, You know, obviously, when it came to Michael Flynn, it was this, you know, huge uh, uh, event that, you know, would raise considerations about the Logan Act that, you know, had uh, James Comey all verklempt and the like. Uh, But when it comes to John Kerry, oh, well, he's just having conversations with a terrorist state, you know, behind everybody's back and and giving them assurances that we don't know about. Uh, Oh, that's all fine. That's just totally normal. And this is the thing that I think we we need to understand about all the different uh, aspects of this that, that, that Donald Trump was up against and that his administration was up against. And we should understand that's not just going to be the approach to Trump. They're going to do the same thing the next time that there's a Republican president in office, no matter who that is. They've learned that it worked with Trump. They've learned that they were able to slow down so many of his policies uh, that they were able to you know, throw him into yeah. all sorts of investigations and challenges and the like. And they believe that that approach worked. They will do it again. They will try it again. Uh, ben, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Great to be with you as always, Brian. All right, you got it. one 408 7669 We come back, we'll find out if there's indeed more to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. On the surface, Bruce and I don't have a lot in common. He's a white guy from a small town in Jersey. I'm a black guy of mixed race, born in Hawaii. He's a rock and roll icon. I'm not as cool. Bruce and I have been on parallel journeys, looking for a way to connect our own individual searches for meaning, 
truth than community with the largest story of America. And over the course of a few days, all just a few miles from where he grew up, we talked. So this is part of a new podcast, it looks like, right? Yes, with uh, President Obama and Bruce Springsteen. It's going to be eight episodes on Spotify. What are they going to talk about? Um, Apparently they talk about a range of things. Um, It's eight episodes, like I said. Um, They talk about race in America. Episode two is American skin, race in the United States. Um, I think the first one is, um, oh, the overall title of the podcast are Renegades Born in the USA. I think the you know former president sort of previewed it there. They're not I mean, alike, but they find common ground. Right. I mean, look, uh, I, I'm, yeah, I might listen to it. I saw Laura Ingram had, was kind of mocking it the other night, but I'm curious about it. Uh, Bruce Springsteen's a, a big-time Democrat. Mm-hmm. So, and Barack Obama's an interesting, charismatic guy. I just don't think that uh, – I'm overall, I mean, he is probably one of the top five most popular people in America – I mean, you watch him, whether he's dancing with Ellen DeGeneres or doing a eulogy at a church. He seems to be a well-read, fun guy to hang out with. I just think as a president, he underachieved big time. Think about all he could have done. Think about all he knew. Think about how he could have demanded more from race relations across the country instead of uh, fueling them, especially after he gave that speech uh, about Reverend Wright while he was still a candidate. No, I agree. I mean, do you think in retrospect he would have done things differently? No. Yeah. I think he I think that Joe Biden is Barack Obama if I wish I could have been more left. That's wow. what I, I I really do. So let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Christy Teigen's upset. She's asking the president of the United States, Joe Biden, to stop following her. Quote, I have tweeted a handful of times since my treasured POTUS followed me. But in order for me to flourish as me, I must ask you to please, Lord, unfollow me. I love you. It's not you. It's me. What's the problem? I don't get it. Well, I mean, the issue um, is that the POTUS account only follows like 13 people and they are all administration people and people of importance. No celebrities like her. And, so it makes no sense. And she made it a big deal when she actually got the follow, which was a total PR stunt. Now she's asking him to stop following Because stop. she wants to be racy? And what does she want to do? Like, do you follow her? Stop making it about her. You actually follow her. I bet you didn't know that. I did not know that. <laughs> Seems to make news. Next, the U.S. National Women's Soccer Team, finally some good news, will no longer kneel for the national anthem. This, I think, was dividing the team. Let's listen to Crystal Dunn of Rockville Center, Long Island. She's African-American, a great player, and a great person. Those that were collectively kneeling felt like we were kneeling to bring about attention to police brutality and systemic racism. And I think we decided that moving forward, we no longer feel the need to kneel because we are doing the work behind the scenes. We are combating uh, systemic racism, and, you know, we never felt we were all right okay fine they're all standing it was dividing the team more and more people were standing up first they were all kneeling Megan Rapinoe was the only one kneeling then they were all kneeling then they have standing they're gonna have their hands full trying to retain their world cup they don't need this well I agree with you and I'm very happy they are now standing my question for you if president got a second term would they still be kneeling absolutely be kneeling no question next uh South South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem is rallying the delegation of South Dakota to lobby the White House to let them have fireworks at Mount Rushmore 
She sent letters to South Dakota's congressional delegations to go to bat for it. Uh, visitors spent $2 million in South Dakota last year. She advertised on our channel. She thinks it would be bad to cut off fireworks uh, first time in more than a decade because of wildfire opportunities. Let the fireworks take place. Thank you. I was at Mount Rushmore. Just rake, rake the place and it'll be fine. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.